Welcome back, I'm Sarah and this is your weekly Witch Fix. Today we'll be taking a look at the television series Salem, which is now available on Netflix. There are three seasons currently on Netflix. I was unfortunately only able to get through one season. I felt like the series was treading water at that point and I wasn't sure it was going and the plot was getting a bit slow for me. Possibly because I didn't really care for most of the characters. Apparently I wasn't the only one as WGN cancelled the show after three series. Salem is a drama series ostensibly about Salem and the witch hunts that took place there in 1690. However, it's about as historically accurate as its Marilyn Manson theme tune suggests. In Salem's version of Salem, the Puritan town has three story houses, street lighting and a brothel fairly certain puritans did not have brothels as a matter of course you might be thinking it's fantasy why does it have to be realistic however the byline for the show is salem explores what really fueled the town's infamous witch trials uncovering the dark supernatural truth hidden behind the infamous period in american history which is a statement that gets funnier with every episode you watch Potential anachronisms aside, the plot of Salem is that far from being victims of the witch trials, the whole thing has been orchestrated by witches as a means for innocent blood to be spilled, completing an ancient witch's right to awaken the malum, a strange carved object made to look like an apple, which will release a plague that will kill all humans, leaving only the witches standing. On the side of evil, we have Mary Sibley. Left pregnant and unmarried by her lover when he goes off to fight the Native Americans, she turns to Tichuba, an African-American servant and witch, to get rid of her baby. The ritual that this requires ends with Mary apparently having Congress with the devil, and we flash forward a number of years to find the formerly poor but beautiful Mary married to the town's chief select man, who is now mysteriously confined to a wheelchair and unable to speak. On the side of good, we have John Alden, the erstwhile lover of Mary Sibley, soldier and all-around roughy-tufty guy returned to Salem after the war with dangerously progressive ideas about not slaughtering women on the say-so of hysterical children. John is assisted eventually by Reverend Cotton Mather and by Isaac, who is colloquially known by his full name, Isaac the Fornicator. They make quite the dream team. For the record, I actually really like the setup that puts Mary and John, former lovers, on opposite sides of the battle for Salem and for the human race. What I am not in love with is the execution, if you'll pardon the pun. Some characters in the series appear to be based on actual historical figures from Salem, many of whom handily have Wikipedia pages. In reality, Tichuba was an enslaved woman, and it's been suggested that she was originally from South America, but equally some historians say she was African American. She was the first to be accused of witchcraft in 1692, and it's thought that she was accused because she had told some of the young girls stories of voodoo and witchcraft to entertain or scare them and they either took these stories too seriously or wanted to make trouble for Tichuba. Like many others, Tichuba did confess to witchcraft, although this doesn't mean much as she was likely tortured. She also named Salem residents and accused them of witchcraft as part of her confession. The name Tichuba might be familiar to those of you who, like me, have seen American Horror Story Coven. In that series, Tichuba is credited not just with bringing voodoo to Northern America, but with giving the white Salem witches their powers to begin with. And it's fitting then that she is probably the most powerful witch in the Salem series, second only to Mary Sibley herself. Other real life characters represented include Cotton Mather, in reality a sort of combination minister and scientist, and his father, Increase Mather. According to historians, the relationship between the two was strained and Cotton never became as successful as his father, this is also the case for the fictional Mathers, although things are taken rather to extremes in that regard. In the television series, 
Cotton is bookish and cautious, and because of John Alden's protestations, he begins to doubt the methods he has learned to find and kill witches. Unfortunately, just as Cotton sees reason, his father arrives as a sort of bloodthirsty witch bounty hunter and just starts cutting people down left, right and centre. Mercy Lewis, who in the series begins as a girl tormented by witchcraft and who is thereafter recruited to join the witches, is also based on a real person of the same name. In line with the real Mercy's role as one of the most consistent accusers in Salem, the character of Mercy is used by Mary Sibley to accuse innocence and provide false witness, also to host a familiar, a black snake which lives inside Mercy's stomach. John Alden shares his name with a crew member from the Mayflower, but it doesn't look like the real-life John shares much else with his TV counterpart. On the subject of Mary Sibley, lead witch of the series, I couldn't find much, apart from an interesting blog post on New England folklore by Peter Muse. There's a link in the description if you'd like to give it a read, but here is a short excerpt. The real Mary Sibley played a small but significant role in the actual Salem witch hunt. Mary and her husband Samuel, who was not particularly wealthy or influential, were neighbours of Reverend Samuel Paris. During the winter of 1691 to 1692, Reverend Paris's daughter Betty and her cousin Abigail Williams had been acting strangely. They had been making odd noises, moving in unusual ways, and complaining of mysterious pains. The local physician thought it might be witchcraft. Reverend Paris and his wife tried to treat the girl's ailments through prayer. On February the 25th, 1692, Reverend and Mrs. Paris left Salem to hear a minister speak in another town. Mary Sibley came over to the Paris house and told the Reverend's slaves, Tituba Indian, and her husband, John Indian, as a note, Indian is given as their last name here, to make a cake from the girl's urine and rye flour. Following Mary's instructions, the slaves baked the cake and then fed it to a dog. Mary, Tituba and John then watched the dog to see if it acted strangely. This type of cake was known as a witch cake and was a method for diagnosing witchcraft. If the girls already had witchcraft in their bodies, it would also be in their urine. If the dog acted strangely after eating their urine, it would be proof that the girls were indeed bewitched. History does not record how the dog acted, but we do know how Reverend Paris acted. He was furious. All magic was considered evil magic, and he believed Mary Sibley's benign attempt to help the girls had opened the door to a greater evil. He may have been right, since after witnessing Mary's magic, the two girls began to actually see human forms tormenting them. Previously, they had just suffered vague physical maladies. It seems like her actions strongly suggested to Betty and Abigail that they were bewitched, and they began to act accordingly from that point onwards. Reverend Paris gave Mary Sibley a stern private lecture, and she publicly and tearfully confessed to her errors in the Salem Village Congregation on March 25th, 1692. Mary fades from history at this point and didn't play any further role in the Salem witch trials. However, some writers have suggested that her witch cake was the incident that really kicked off the witch craze. They speculate that Betty and Abigail might have stopped their odd behaviour if Mary hadn't asked Tituba and John to bake the witch cake. And, as I've said previously, Tituba was then later accused of witchcraft, so obviously that didn't end very well for her. I find the witch cake thing particularly interesting because in practising of folkloric witchcraft you do sometimes use people's urine or blood clothes that they've worn or hair something from them physically to curse them and you can do that by burning it or burying it sticking it with pins or I guess feeding it to a dog so if she was going to try and curse them that would have been a pretty neat way to get some urine although I'm not saying Mary Sibley was actually a witch 
The first series of Salem is a sort of push and pull between Alden's pleas for sanity and Mary's machinations to induce hysteria. At the same time Mary and John try to fight their feelings for one another, Reverend Cotton Mather tries to find the root cause of the witchy goings-on, and a young Puritan girl discovers that her father is a witch, and so biologically so is she, despite being a devout Christian. This raised some questions for me because the whole point of opening the Malin is to start a plague that will kill humans and leave witches alive, which suggests to me that witches are racially separate to human beings. And yet Mary Sibley is a human woman until Tituba introduces her to the devil using a ritual. So I was confused as to whether witchcraft was an inherited trait or if it was something like it is to practitioners in real life where you can be initiated into it. At the start of season one, public executions are rife, and at one point a girl magically controlled by Mary, before mentioned Mercy Lewis, is walked like a dog through town on a leash with a sort of metal cage on her head, and she literally sniffs out witches. Which brings us back to inaccurate and frankly ridiculous. There's gore, shock and awe, and nakedness aplenty. In one particularly graphic scene, Mary flies using a wooden dildo which is actually pretty in keeping with some lore and flying ointments, but still. There are also scenes of torture, dismemberment, a ditch full of corpses, and a toad sucking an extra nipple. Basically, it's true blood, but for witches, sex, blood, and the supernatural. What irks me about it is that it takes a really interesting premise, but ruins it with inaccuracies, wanton misuse of gore and horror elements, and a need to go for the rude, the crude, and the nude. It comes off as immature, and I don't want to sound like a prude, and I can enjoy gratuitous nudity and all the rest of it, see above my interest in American horror story, and True Blood, for example. But in this, it's just so out of place and unsupported by chemistry or purpose. Weirdly enough, I was drawn to Salem because I so enjoyed Witch Child by Celia Rees, which is a young adult novel I'll be looking at in another episode. But while Witch Child is aimed at children or young adults, it comes across as leagues more sophisticated and better researched than this drama purportedly for adults. So would I recommend Salem? Actually, yes. At least the first season. It fills a hole in the dearth of witch-related TV shows currently available in Netflix, but it's a plain bread roll to munch while waiting for the main course to arrive. Content warnings, the aforementioned gore, torture and nudity, plus some scenes that smack of rape or coercion especially the one involving the devil, and some very dodgy depictions of Native Americans. And now a small quote to remind us that, as witches, our words have power in or out of the circle. If you believe nothing else I say, believe this. If you defy me, only horror awaits you, unimaginable and infinitely painful. Hear me, that is no mere promise, but a curse. This has been your Witch Fix. Remember, you can get in touch on Twitter at WitchFix or via email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like, you can support the podcast by purchasing a copy of my own novel, Wayward, on Amazon for 99p. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.